in If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to Colossians chapter 1. We only just begun a series of sermons looking at this letter, particularly in the light of a Christian world and life, Christian worldview, and I will explain a little more of that. We come, though, to uh, chapter 1. I will read the greeting again that we read last time and about how he gives them a whole new identity in Christ as saints, as faithful brethren, as those who are now in Christ, and how these things now mark and characterize their lives forever. Here now also from Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the portion for today. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we confess that these prayer requests are too often far from our mind. We have, it seems, more pressing matters that often eclipse the greater gifts. And so it is, we pray that you would teach us your will, teach us to pray, give us spiritual wisdom and depth of insight as the Apostle prays here that we should truly know what is important, what is valuable, what is permanent and lasting, what things we really need. Oh, our Father, we pray that you would take from us a dullness and a mediocrity that looks only for the small things in life and ignores the great and glorious things. We pray that you would raise again our vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would set our minds on things above where he is, and that these things would draw us on and draw us forward. So enable us to study your word today with profit. For his sake we pray. Amen. What do people value in life, I ask you? Well, the results of a survey taken earlier this year were recently published in the Wall Street Journal, and it highlighted the rapidly changing priorities of our values in the last few years in America. Two surveys just four years apart revealed a very interesting difference. In 2019, 
When people were asked whether having children was very important to them, 59% agreed. Today, just four years later, 30% agreed. Cut in half. Community involvement was regarded as very important by 62% of our countrymen four years ago. That has fallen to 27% today, more than cut in half. Patriotism has similarly suffered, dropping from 61% to 38% in the last four years. Why they're having some trouble recruiting, I think. And, in fact, the only value that increased in importance in the last four years in the minds of Americans was, anyone want to guess? Money. The only value that increased in importance in the minds of Americans was money, which is now very important to 43% of our fellow Americans. These values explain the choices that Americans are making. This is the value of a worldview, right? So I was born in the 1960s, and as we began that decade, America had a birth rate of 3.7 per woman, uh, well over the replacement rate of 2.1 that's needed to keep a population steady, 3.7 children per woman in our country. But at the beginning of this decade, the 2020s, we are down to 1.6 births per woman. Once again, more than cut in half. It's what Os Guinness calls a free people's suicide. Why? This is not about birth or children, an interesting tie-in with Warren's intro. I didn't mean to do that. Just pick some interesting statistics. But, but why, why is it? I was discussing the collapsing birth rate in our country with someone recently and why it might be happening, and he said, well, children are expensive. Uh, well, this is the richest nation in the world, and we've gotten richer since the 1960s when we had more than twice our current birth rate, and it's not that we just can't afford children anymore. The difference is that Americans, on average, don't value children as much as they value money. That's what they say and those are the choices that are made. We think, as Americans, that we will be happier with more of the latter than more of the former. And this illustrates the practical importance of our worldview for daily life. A worldview, you remember, is how we answer the most important questions and the most fundamental things in life, such as, who am I? What's life about? What's wrong with the world? And how can what's wrong be made right? Um, and the question for today that's uh, often, I think, slighted in those worldview studies, but it's extremely important, what do I value? What's important? What do I truly desire in life? We all have answers to such questions, though we don't often think about them, or even how we got those answers. In fact, a lot of people catch a worldview like they catch a cold. You just catch it from the people around them. Um, that's just how I was raised. Well, everybody's doing it. People catch worldviews like they catch colds. 
but worldviews stick around a lot longer than colds, and they can make us a lot more miserable. Or to change the picture, if life is a house, then the worldview is the foundation. Right? Everything rests and is built upon it. Is your foundation solid? Well, you say, of course it is. I'm a Christian. Well, you know, as part of the 72% of Americans <laughs> that say that religion is important or very important in their lives, uh, that's good. However, this is where a little worldview analysis helps us out. So... Americans, yes, even American Christians, have a very materialistic worldview or outlook on life. Children, that's a very fancy way of saying that children's highly value money and the comforts it can buy us. See the previous survey. Okay, so how does God fit into our materialist worldview? If we're going to put God into a materialist worldview, where does he go? What, what do we need God for? If the American approach to life is that what's really important to us is money and material comfort, what's God's role in that? Answer, health and wealth. We want to be hashtag blessed. <laughs> and the good news or gospel that we want to hear as Americans is that God has a wonderful plan for our lives. <gasps> really? That's good. I have a wonderful plan for my life. And God wants to do the same? That's great. And if God wants to get me there, then he is welcome to join me. That's why the modern prosperity gospel was de developed right here in the good old U.S. of A. We're exporting it around the world, it's true, but uh, we, we, cre we came up with it for a good reason. So do you see why worldviews are important? Even if we say we are Christians, the question is, of course, what is the worldview that we have? Where is God in all of that? We can't just bolt God onto a, frankly, ungodly, materialistic worldview, or we end up with a very warped, self-centered, selfish uh, life claiming to be Christian. God, it's true, can give us anything, I suppose, anything good. If God can give us anything, the question that we need to ask is, what do we want from him? What are we asking him for? That tells us what we really want. What is it that we are seeking from him? This question that helps us understand what we most desire, what we most value, if we're going to speak to the one who can give us whatever we want... What do we need? And this is one reason why we find the prayers of Paul so very challenging, because they tell us what we should most desire and what is, in fact, most important to us, what is truly most valuable. In the passage I read, Paul begins with a prayer of thanksgiving, uh, as he typically does in his letters. And uh, what does he thank God for? Uh, what does he seek for these Colossians? Um, not health and wealth, uh, not just a little comfort for their lives. He has a much broader, much grander vision, you see. And uh, Don Carson, in his excellent little book on prayer, has this brilliant comment, which I put on the back of your bulletin to ponder. This prayer, he writes... 
is not made up of petty petitions, isolated requests that are to be answered by a God who, from time to time, intervenes in our lives and does something remarkable. We are not to think of ourselves as basically independent and on the right track, but occasionally in need of a little input from the deity, a little blessing called down by an appropriately formulated prayer. Paul's vision is much broader, much more holistic. He places us in God's universe, which was made by him and for him, answerable to him, redeemed by him. And Paul's prayer establishes what our priorities must be wherever that vision prevails. In short, Paul's prayers embrace an entire vision. It's brilliant. You might need to read it a couple times, but when you're reading the prayer, you're not supposed to say, oh, just some interesting prayer requests. You have to say, wow, this is a whole vision of life that I need to have too. Our entire value system and our entire set of priorities, as Americans certainly, needs to be rebuilt. He's giving us not just prayer requests, he's teaching us priorities. Our lives have been transformed by the power of God. Uh, Joy and hope and knowing the Lord and so much has happened. And and now, as we face tomorrow, we we need to have a whole new set of goals and aspirations and plans and purposes in our life. And that's why Paul prays that we might first abound in all knowledge and spiritual understanding. He, he wants our thoughts and our desires now to become truly Christian in light of all these things. And so as we come to the passage, we are in need of reconsidering our own agendas, our priorities in life. Are, are you living for what's truly valuable and enduring and satisfying? Or are you still frustrated because God hasn't checked off a few more things from your list, your list of priorities? Let's consider this prayer in two parts. Um, and I will have several subpoints. <clears throat> two parts. The values that count in verses 3 through 8 and the priorities we need in verses 9 through 12. The values that count the priorities we need. First, the values that count. Faith, hope, and love in verses 3-8. And I tried to emphasize it as I read it, but just in case you missed it, we find here one of the critical organizing principles of Paul's whole theology. Um, be a really good sermon series sometimes that I need to do. Faith, hope, and love, right? We give thanks to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Paul thanks God because they're advancing in faith, hope, and love, the values that count. All three of these, by the way, are mentioned repeatedly in this letter because they are essential values. I don't even like that word values, by the way. I think it sneaks in too many things, but I'm using it to communicate The older word was virtues, Christian virtues of a Christian worldview. But first, faith. Faith. Um, He heard of their faith. Well, he's not met these people. Epaphras has preached to them, and they've they've believed the, the truth. And Paul thanks God. 
because of that. And the emphasis in this letter will be um, not being saved or justified by faith, not saved through faith as it is elsewhere. In this letter, the emphasis is how faith gives us a foundation for life. For example, verse 23, continue in the faith grounded and steadfast. That's the role of faith as he's preaching it to the Colossians. Verse, chapter 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. These are the good words that he's using here of, of faith. Grounded, steadfast, established. Uh, this is what's going to give us a foundation. Because faith, you see, is, is only as good as what it's, what it's trusting in, right? It's only as good as what it's built upon. I just saw a news article this week that one of the most popular cold medicines in America doesn't work. Anybody else see that? Better check your cold medicine. It doesn't work any better than a placebo, which placebos do pretty well, amazingly, but, uh, but they're a lot cheaper, right? Uh, people have spent $1.8 billion on that medicine, hoping for relief, and now they say, sorry, our bad. <laughs> $1.8 billion later. We were wrong. I don't suppose they're going to give us a refund. Um, Americans, you see, are just losing faith in the pharmaceutical industry right now for reasons I don't have to tell you. And, 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 and you know, we, we feel like these days there's, there's just so much of our world is built on lies, right? I mean, am I the only one that feels that way? Where, 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 where there's just shifting sand and you're like, well, look, what is the truth? Where can I go for truth? I need to plant my feet somewhere. And so Paul, you noticed, mentions the truth twice in the passage. Did you notice verse 5? The word of the truth of the gospel. And again, verse 6. You heard the grace of God in truth. If we're going to have a Christian worldview, we're going to have to put our feet somewhere. We're going to have to put our faith in Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. We're going to have a strong foundation of truth, the value that counts. Uh, Second, hope. Paul writes in verse 5 about the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Um, Lots of things we're hoping for, but here, uh, taking taking things uh, from the uh, from the end uh, we have a true and a wonderful hope laid up in heaven or verse 23 the hope of the gospel which you heard the good news that we are looking toward biblical idea of hope you remember is like anticipation it's not just like oh i I hope it snows tomorrow no uh it's it's not a vague wish it's something that we are look forward looking forward to it's like anticipation it's like, my birthday's in three days. I can't wait, right? Uh, it's something we're looking forward to. Hope is something that is, in fact, chapter 1, verse 27, already begun in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If, if we are going to have the right approach to life, in other words, we are going to have to live, light, live life in the light of What's going to last? What's going to make us most blessedly happy in the long run of the things that really matter in light of eternity? 
you know, a lot of things that we spend our time on, worrying about, working on today, are not going to make any difference a million years from now. But you know, the word of God and the souls of men last forever. And you know, the Bible says that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, that there is a rich reward and that our works will follow us. And the Lord will abundantly do all that we do, all that we offer for his sake. Not a cup of cold water, he says, will be forgotten. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people spend their lives climbing up a ladder only to find at the end it's leaning against the wrong wall. That's not what we expected to find at the end of that long climb. We need to live in light of a certain future, looking forward to that day when our Lord with joy says, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Now, that will be a great day. That's where we need to start evaluating our life today. Faithful over a few things. This is where our longing and expectation really need to be. Remembering the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Third, love. The greatest of these three is love. Elsewhere, Paul emphasizes our love for God. But here, and in this letter, it's for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 5, your love for all the saints. Compare 2.22, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 2. That your hearts may be knit together in love. Beautiful picture. 3.14, above all these other things, put on love, saints, which is the bond of of perfection. Well, here again is what really matters in life, love. You know, Paul says you're going to give all your goods to the poor. As he says elsewhere, you, you give your body to be burned. Without love, useless. Profits you nothing. This is to become the motivation of every action directing our every decision. Okay, this is a great motivation, a joyful, wonderful motivation, and yet one that we lack so much of, right? You say, well, look, why does it matter so much what my motivation is as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Well, here's a letter I came across to explain the difference. This is the importance of motive. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) Motives are essential. They are essential for the Lord looks on the heart and love is the essential part of all that we are to do. It's to give everything that we do joy and meaning and, and frankly, creativity and freshness and spontaneity and energy, right? Love calls you beyond the borders of your own wants and needs and feelings. It makes you want to serve, to go, to give, to do, to forgive, to persevere in all these things. Love is simply the greatest power in the human heart, 
And, and the Lord says from start to finish, look, this is, this is yours to cultivate and enjoy. This is what I'm commanding you, above all, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, what a great command. Love to God, love to the world, and especially here, love to the brethren. So these are the virtues that count. Faith, hope, and love, the preeminent Christian virtues that are to affect our every decision, the truth of God in the light of eternity, doing all that we are doing with the heart of God, right? Is that clear? All, everything that we, need, we choose to do is to be done based on God's truth that we believe in, in light of what really matters on that day and doing it with the very heart of God, faith, hope, love. Okay, so I asked AI, what are some modern American virtues? It said American, modern American virtues or values, okay, okay, uh, include individualism, capitalism, privacy, diversity, and equality. Okay, so we're putting all our eggs in those baskets, thinking that these things are going to make our lives truly satisfying, harmonious, joyful, or will they? What do you truly value? What directs your choices, such as where are you spending your time? You're spending it on what you value most at the moment, so what would that be? Do you find that you are doing what is truly fulfilling and rewarding and important? In the opening Thanksgiving, Paul thanks the Lord for what is truly precious, divine, worthy, beautiful in these people. A window on what the Christian heart should feel, what it should be. Here are things truly to be desired in life. And may God give you physical comforts and well-being as well. God does take care of his people. He knows what we need before we ask him. Jesus assures us of these things. Seek first the kingdom, he says, but all these things shall be added to you. But whatever else you have in life, you are to delight to abound in faith, in hope, and in love. These are the values that count. And Paul thanks God that he sees them in these Colossians. Well, now, of course, the real question, I suppose, is how do we put that into practice? Well, it's the rest of the letter, but he does... He does begin this way with uh, point number two, the priorities we need. The priorities we need. Uh, how, to, how to please the Lord, he says. And, and this is not a comprehensive list. The, the letter does go on quite a bit in this area. So, um, but he does start with these four things that he says, now I'm, I'm praying this for, for you and for your future. Uh, he, he begins, verse 9, that uh, we need to know his will right? We need to know his will now for our lives. Verse 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, don't cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, you have to understand that when we talk about knowing God's will, what we often mean is, I got to choose between these two jobs or I just don't know where I should live, or I don't know what choice I should make here. 
what is God's will for me? Which are reasonable questions, but you have to understand that in the Bible, God's will is used in a different sense. It's not about my plans or my needs or choices, which sometimes can become another form of self-centeredness. When the Bible speaks about God's will, it means his holy purposes and priorities for us. So, for example, it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Or again, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the sense that the Bible uses it. Again, may God make you complete to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. It's about uh, his purposes, not so much our choices. That's what God's will means in biblical terms. And that's what we need to know. That's what's in view here. We need to know God's will, verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, and is endeavoring to live as becomes the followers of Christ, as we promised to do, right? Walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Well, great. How are we going to please the Lord? He has four participles in the original that, uh, that give us the answer. These four things that hang off of this that we are to have as our priorities. You want to please, please the Lord? You want to know his will for your life? Here we go. Number one, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. That's got to make it into your schedule. You say, I'm very busy. This is a priority. This is the point. This is a priority for us. Not only does this please the Lord very much, but also he, he has promised to richly reward them. Remember the hope. If you, if you want to live now, as you're going to wish you lived then, you need to reorder some priorities in life. Good works, fruitful good works, enlarge the heart and faith and hope and love. And, and since we are saved for good works, which he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in, we need to value them more highly in our lives. Again, value them more highly. That's the, that's the key. That's our key question for today. What's, what's valuable to us? What do we desire? Second, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, I think that basically just means knowing God, or, or not just knowing about God, in other words. Uh, to please the Lord, we've we got to know the Lord. We've got to know God. Uh, we shouldn't know the characters of our favorite television show better than we know the one who's made us and redeemed us. We need to be captivated by uh, His holiness, goodness, and love. His words need to capture our imagination and our conversation and our plans. We just need to be more amazed at grace. To, to know the Lord. Um, this, you notice, is not really a, a, a specific priority as much as it is one of those things that just affects everything. The more that we know him, the more that we'll love him, the more that our whole lives will reflect what pleases him. Whatever other good things that we are doing, we need to prioritize knowing the Lord. Third, 
we need to find his strength. It's important, especially in tough times, as uh, apparently some, some tough times have come to the Colossians. We'll read about that later. But uh, verse 11, being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience or perseverance and long-suffering with joy. Uh, the Christian life isn't easy. But when we're strong and satisfied in the Lord, we have all we need, and we can even rejoice when we're persecuted and trust God's providence when we are still in need. You need to avoid those things that are weakening you. You need to prioritize those things that are going to strengthen you. And strength comes from exercise. Amen, Kevin? Amen. Strength comes from exercise. And we need to build up our spiritual strength. We need to prioritize that which makes us strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Paul writes, exercise yourself toward godliness. Well, some of us prioritize exercising the body. Some of us are fine just the way we are. But Paul says we all need to have this priority, strength, strength in the Lord. And fourth and finally here, we need to cultivate a spirit of gratitude for all that God has done for us and given us in Christ. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That pleases the Lord. You have more reason for happiness, sir, more reason for happiness, ma'am, in the worst day of your life than the best life of the Hollywood rich super megastar who doesn't know the Lord, right? You have more happiness on the worst day of your life than the best day of someone who doesn't know him. And how I wish that we were all overwhelmed every day at what has happened to us in Christ. What riches and future and privileges are ours. It's amazing. But we don't think about it very much. It's not a priority. Oh, we need to become thankful <coughs> to the Father who's qualified us. It's an interesting phrase. Who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Well, when people share interests, it naturally brings them together. If it's a knitting circle or a rock climbing society, people who have these things in common find that they belong to the group. Uh, the church is different. The Lord is calling very different kinds of people together from different backgrounds and interests and parts of society. And what brings us together is the Lord himself and this shared devotion to him, faith, hope, and love and all that. Well, when a congregation finds itself full of division, you know that they have lost sight of what has brought them to be together to begin with. Or at least they've allowed those other things to become more valuable, more important to them than what unites them. However, when Christians in a congregation are growing in brotherly love and fruitfulness and service and everything else because they have this common love in Jesus, that's an infallible sign that God's grace is at work in their lives. This must be the work of God. And so Paul begins his letter by saying, I see this in you, and I thank God for what he is doing. And so he prays down even more of God's true choice blessings so that they will live lives worthy 
of the gospel of Christ and please the Lord in everything. Here are four things that are truly important for every life to be well-lived. Fruitful works, knowing the Lord, being strong in him, and becoming thankful to him. That's God's will for you. That's what will please him. And we shouldn't pretend that we want to know God's will for other things like, oh God, give me your will for a marriage partner. Tell me your will for my job decision, my, my, my school program. When we don't care about God's will for the things that are so important and so clearly revealed to us, we need a God-centered worldview where we think of God's will as what does he want for our lives not what we want him to do. Well, this does, as I said earlier, include asking our Heavenly Father for all that we need. He knows that we need them. How much more will he give his children good gifts? But even more importantly, it means seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. And then Jesus says all those other things will be added to you. It's all about priorities, priorities. So point to the priorities that we need to please the Lord. So in conclusion... Worldly values are always changing. Notice that? They're constantly changing, and therefore they're inherently divisive. God's values endure forever. They are inherently uniting, bringing peace. A lot of ideas that people very loudly promoted yesterday are just gone today. A lot of what people are shaming others for not believing today is going to be long gone tomorrow. It's the way the world is. And future generations will scratch their heads wondering why anybody ever believed such things as they did in 2020. I tell you what, God's values are going to stand the test of time because they're true. And you are not going to be put to shame. Worldly values lack a solid foundation, and they provide no sense of certainty. In fact, because of that shifting nature, they're constantly creating anxiety and internal tension in us. They lead, they lead to striving. People believe them, and then they find that the rewards they promise are neither lasting nor satisfying. Too often, people end in despair. God's values are rooted and grounded in reality, and they tell the truth about the world that God made. They are satisfying now, and they are very richly rewarded to all eternity. And so we need to keep the goal in sight. Worldly values are like a foundation of sand that dissolve when the rains fall and the winds begin to blow. God's values are an anchor of the soul, that keep us safe in the storms of life, enabling wise choices, producing inner peace, making a life uh, beautiful. I I read about this woman, Christian woman in South Carolina. She she died in her 80s. It's a a very ordinary stay-at-home mom. Um, But when she died, something like 10,000 people from the community came to her funeral because she had just touched so many lives over the years. She was always working to, to love and to bless people in relatively small ways, but she, she had done so much good works for the people. She, she was fruitful in these things. Paul was such a man. He was committed to the growth and well-being and encouraging and blessing of others, especially new Christians, longing to help them, nurture them, 
root them in Christ, pray for them. And this is a man that can teach us truly about what a well-lived life is all about. So here we go. What's, what's valuable? What's important? How that's connected to a worldview. Do you understand something about how that affects our everyday choices? Some people have said that, the, the, that a worldview is like the picture on the jigsaw puzzle box, right? I hope you use that. I hope you're not one of the people that just puts, puts it away and says, oh, I'll figure it all out, right? All right. You, you keep the big picture before you, and then you know how all the pieces should fit together. It directs your every decision. And this is what you need for your life, the big picture. And what if you don't have it? Well, it's like that woman who tried to swim from Catalina Island into the mainland of California, and the weather was foggy and chilly on the day that she set out. Um, she, she couldn't see the, the shore on the other side, but, I mean, not only that, she could barely see the boats that were going to be accompanying her. So for 15 hours, she swam. She was an excellent swimmer. She had done the channel twice. Uh, she... She went for 15 hours, and she begged to be taken out. Her trainer urged persistence, telling her again and again, you can make it, you can make it. Finally, just exhausted, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, she gave up. She was pulled into the boat, and almost immediately, they were back at the shore. She was just half a mile away. And the next day, she gave a news conference, and she said, I don't want to make any excuses for myself, but I think that... If I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And two months later, she proved the point. On a bright, clear day in California, she plunged into the sea and she swam the distance. Brothers and sisters, we we need to have a clear biblical vision. A, a, A sweep of life and what's before us and where we are going and who we are and who God is and what he's done and what truly matters in light of eternity that closes in every moment. And then seeing it all before us, we will be able to put the pieces of our puzzle together. And more than that, we will be able to join the glorious cry, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we find that our hearts are often deceiving us, the deceitfulness of sin causing those things which are very inglorious to occupy our mind and attention, even sneak into our desires, dulling our appetite for you, confusing us when we ought to be clear, leading us astray how much we, we do need to know you, to be strong in you, to be thankful to you, and to be very fruitful in all that we are doing for the, your name's sake. We confess the rightness of faith and truth and faith and hope and love and seek to to pray once again for these things, for ourselves and for others, knowing that these things do tell the tale. They are the true virtues of a life well lived. They are the true priorities of one who pleases you, Father. We pray that you would uh, rebuild us, renew us, rewire our minds and our hearts from the inside, that we should long for what is truly gold, that we should delight in what is truly valuable. We pray that you would bless us and make our lives to overflow. I, I do pray for 
those who have come here today who do not have this, no, this knowledge, this joy, this certainty, this, this perspective on life, who find themselves in the very shifting sands and perhaps like that woman unable to go on, not even knowing what the end of these things will be. We pray, our Father, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would teach them the vanity of what they have their hearts set on and the great value of what you have for us in Jesus Christ. We pray that their foundation might shake, that they might find a true and a lasting, firm foundation, and that they should never be put to shame in Jesus' name.